one. We are coming out of Proverbs 23, verses 1 through 8. And the sermon is wisdom and discernment, wisdom and discernment. And we are looking at discernment as not one of those church, churchy words that you just kind of hear, but you don't really know what it is. I think when some of us hear about the word discernment or what it means to discern, I think there are people who overemphasize what discernment is, but I also think there are people who oversimplify what discernment is. So the question is, what is it? What is discernment? And I would say that based on what we learn in Scripture, discernment is relying on the Holy Spirit in what he reveals to us about situations in life. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to think that this is only hoping that the Spirit reveals everything to you in a supernatural way. I'm not saying that's impossible. I think it's very possible but I would say that it is not the typical way for the spirit to reveal things for us. And that probably isn't the most typical way we should seek truth. I think much of it, as we learn from the word today, is about using biblical wisdom and just practical observation of the things that God has placed around us. And so what I want for all of us to be able to learn today about what discernment is, is more than anything, we have to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God in our hearts, but also to clear our hearts, to clear our eyes so that we will not only see things the way we want to see them, but so that we can see things truthfully and with clarity. And so Proverbs 23 and 1 starts like this. It says, when you sit down to eat with the ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculated. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to dive uh, one more time into the word concerning wisdom and discernment, God, I pray that um, my words will be clear, that the text will be clear, that we will understand what um, is required of us in order to navigate life and the world around us. Um, God, I do believe you have given us the means to do that through the Holy Spirit and through the word. But it does require us to really lean into those things. So, God, I pray that you would make it uh, possible for us to lean into the word, lean into you and the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. So let's set the scene here. Because I think um, when we consider the fact that we are a part of Birmingham, which has a very long history of political corruption, or even right here in Tarrant City, I think we know what politics can do. And so I think this scene says here when you sit with a ruler to eat, but instead of just thinking of a ruler or a king in terms of you know, this high position. Let's think in more terms of some suspect political leader, right? 
some suspect political leader who has invited you to dinner with them. Now, let's just assume you're not just anybody, but you are somebody. Specifically, you are a well-known and well-respected community leader who is known for their good morals and having great influence among the people. For years, you've been trying to get funding for a new learning center for the kids in your community, but all of your attempts to secure that funding have been unsuccessful because you don't play the political game. Now, this mayor, who you know has a questionable past and reputation, has told you that they will secure funding for your plans if you pledge your support to them. And this is the moment, if you're the person that's sitting there, where you've got to weigh some things out, right? If you're sitting there, you've got to make some determinations. One being, should I take this deal? Should I do this? I, I know I want these good things to happen, but it, it, it forces me to compromise my values in a way that I'm not necessarily comfortable with doing. Should I take this deal? Does this person actually mean me any good, even though they will support something good? Are they sincere about my cause? This is where the practical wisdom of this proverb comes in. He says, when you sit down, observe carefully what is before you. One translation actually says, observe carefully who is before you. In other words, take note of the situation that you're in. Think about how and why you may actually be there and judge it accordingly. I like actually how John instructs us in John 4 and 1. He says that we actually should not believe every spirit that comes to us, but rather we should test every spirit to see if they are actually sent from God. Now, when he speaks, he is speaking more specifically about people who bring you a word or a message. But I think the way we test the spirit remains the same. We test the spirit with scripture. We test people's intention with the text. Okay, let's think about this. You've invited me to this place to make me an offer that may make me compromise on my values. It may compromise who I am to get funding for something that could be really good. Is there a text for that? Is there a scriptural reference for that specific situation? I think there is. But what we quickly learn is, if you don't know the word of God well enough, you may not be able to discern situations as well as you need to. Because what I have learned is if you read the Bible, almost every situation you will come across, there's a text for that. There's a scripture for that. What's the scripture for our example? I think it's one that we know if we apply it correctly. What does Psalm 1 tell us? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit with the scoffers. According to the scripture, the moment you sat down with this person, there was a scripture for that. See, this is the thing. If discernment, as we imagine it to be, is just about what I feel about a situation then my feelings can be unreliable. You know how many times I felt good about something 
that I wanted to do or a decision I wanted to make, and it ended up being a terrible decision? Because my feelings are deceptive. And when I especially really want to do something, I can convince myself that I feel just fine about doing it. Discernment, y'all, is more than what we feel. It is what we know to be true about God and about Scripture. I believe that most people, instead of relying on the practical wisdom of Scripture, are trying to discern too much and too many situations without their God-designated roadmap. And it's a problem. It's just like those people, and I, I do believe some of y'all might be in this room, but, you know, hold your, hold your thoughts to yourself. But it's like those people who want to know the weather for the day. I don't understand these kind of people, but people who want to know the weather for the day at 7 o'clock in the morning, you know what they'll do? They'll open a door and stand a foot outside, and they will use that to be their determination for what the weather is going to do all day long. And then at 12 o'clock, don't understand why they hot. Because you stepped your foot out and you thought that that was enough to tell you what the weather was going to do all day long? People like that are crazy to me. You need a more comprehensive way to know what the weather would do all day long because if you've got good sense, you know what the weather is doing at 7 o'clock in the morning is not indicative of what it's doing at 12 o'clock or 3 p.m. or 5 or 6 or into the night. So what should you do? You should rely on an expert who knows weather patterns, who knows how it changes, who knows what the weather is going to do the rest of the day. Yeah, you can step outside and base it on what you feel, but what it feels like in that moment is not necessarily how it's going to feel later. Y'all, that's the same advice for us when we're trying to reason our way through life. I can feel great about this thing right now in this moment. It feels great. This feels like a really good decision, but what happens when life starts lifing? And when I thought felt good at the time, don't feel so good later. I need a more comprehensive way to judge how I should be maneuvering through life. And so just like if I need to know, how do I need to dress for the day? I go to a meteorologist, an expert who understands this thing, who can tell me what I need to do. And then I need to listen to what they say regarding the weather. See, when we rely just on what we feel about life in that moment and how we handle situations, we are no different than that person trying to gauge the weather for that moment. He warns here that when you sit down with that ruler and if you are the kind of person who enjoys food, he says it's actually better for you to put a knife to your throat than to be taken by this ruler's offering. Y'all, this is an extreme example, but it's similar to what Jesus says in the scripture. He said, if it is your eye that causes you to sin, plug it out. Now, this is not a literal requirement necessarily, but it expresses how serious the situation is. Their food is deceptive. And another proverb says that it is the enemies who are profuse with their flattery and their compliments and their kisses. Because they don't want you to know their real intentions. 
The reason this sermon is called Wisdom and Discernment is because I simply don't believe that you can have one without the other. I get asked a lot by different men and women all the time wanting to know who they should marry and if they should marry a particular person. And their biggest question is, how do I know if they are the one? And my response is almost consistently the same. At this point, you shouldn't be finding out if they're spouse material. You should know that going in. Whether or not this person is somebody's husband or somebody's wife, you should know that going in. And the Bible gives us great information on how to know what a husband or what a wife looks like. What you're trying to figure out, you should already know before you even engage with this person. Okay, yeah, your husband material, your wife material. Only thing you're trying to figure out and discern that point, but if are you the one that God has called for me? That's it. But I think the problem is we reduce so much what the, what the Bible has given us an outline for, and we make things that shouldn't be a decision based on my feelings just that. Do I feel like this person is husband material? Do I feel like this person is wife material? Do I feel like I'm going to enjoy this job? Do I feel like this is the right car? Do I feel like this is the right time to move? You might feel like that in that moment. But have you prayed? Have you sought scripture? Have you looked within yourself to determine what are my real intentions and motivations here? The Bible gives us all the information that we need regarding discernment. And what you learn is wisdom and discernment is about me aligning myself up with what the word has already said, not me trying to get the word to align with what I feel. And that is a dangerous mistake that many of us make. As he goes on to warn that we should not toil to acquire wealth, he says that we should be discerning enough to desist. Now, why is this? Because the pursuit of wealth, success, and acclaim can lead to us overlooking our normal moral code to get the things that we want, things that I normally may not be okay with, things that normally are offensive to me, if it is on that path to riches and wealth and success, I may be willing to temper what I know is wrong in order to get what I really want. And that warning goes even further, by the way. He says, because, by the way, when you get it, when you can finally set your eyes on it, by the time you get the riches, they're gone. What you desire is fleeting. And this is a warning, more than anything, to discern what is most important in life. I can recall a time before marriage and before children, my big thing was like, I want to be on a move. I want to be going places. I want to be doing stuff. I don't want to be sitting down. I don't want to be at home. I need to be active. I don't want to get bored. I need things to be dynamic, not static. And then you get married and you, you have children and, and your joy changes. What used to bring you joy, being out with people, now that joy is being home with family and enjoying them. And you realize, you know, what, what I want in life changes. My desires change because I'm growing. What I use to desire is not the same, and that's just as much wisdom and discernment as anything. 
realizing that I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not single. I'm not in the position I need to be. And so the things that I want to do in life have to change. I think that's what most of us fall short. Life has changed. It requires something different of us, and we're trying so desperately to reach back into what life used to be. Not discerning. Things are not the same. It's like that, you know, old basketball player who, you know, he was great in high school. Now he's 50, and he's going to go out there and show them 20-year-olds what to do and tell all his ACLs, MCLs, and PCLs. It's like you don't realize them ain't the same knees that you used to have in the same way. As I live and go through life, I don't discern just based on who I used to be, but there's been growth. There's been maturity. And the way that I look at things and look at life has to shift and change. Maybe at 32, I define rich in a different way. Maybe I should. The Bible instructs us, y'all, that we are to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. We've got to be able to navigate the complexity of life with a good roadmap. But we've also got to know how to adjust when things ain't going the way we want them to go. This is what I told you was going to be in the sermon about the chess. So for those of y'all who don't know, my dad and I play a lot of chess. Now, I play a lot of chess in general, but I probably play him um, more than anybody else, him and some other uh, former co-workers, and I play different people, sometimes random games. And I mean, I'm, I'm decent. I think my skill level is a thousand-some, which ain't great if you really understand chess. But when I play my dad, who, just so y'all know, I think out of the 200-something games that we played, I literally actually won one. It's not a joke. Out of the 200, like a few I've won on timing because he ran out of time, but I've actually only won one. And I think he was like sick. But what I've learned in our games is this. Chess is about an attack, right? You got to have a plan of attack. And I have a plan. I know he has a plan. The difference with us, though, is he's got like 30 years of experience playing chess, and I don't. And so when he attacks and things don't go the way or I make a move he didn't expect, he knows how to adjust. Because all his plans, though he knows what moves he wants to make ahead of time, he, he writes those in pencil. He knows, okay, all right, well, he did this. Let me erase this. This will change the course I need to go, but I, I know where I'm going. Me, on the other hand, he made one move I didn't expect. My plan is gone because that plan was etched in concrete because I don't know enough about it to adjust and change and come up with a different plan. And so he just destroys me. But what I've realized, as frustrating as that is, that can be just how life is for us, right? The Bible says it, it is wise for men and women to have a plan in life. If we don't have a plan, if we don't have a vision, it says people perish for the lack of that. But what we also know is many are the plans that man makes. But God has the ultimate final say. 
all of my plans are probably not going to go the way I intend for them to go, so I'm etching everything in pencil. Wisdom and discernment in life is knowing when things don't go the way that I think they're going to go, okay, God, how do I need to adjust? Going back to the word of God, going back into prayers like, okay, Lord, I wasn't expecting this, but you knew about it. How do I need to change the course that I was on? How do I submit myself? Y'all, that is wisdom. That is discernment. It is not just saying, I know how things are going now, therefore this is how things are always going to go. But it's like my dad in chess is knowing how to play the long game. That each individual move you make at that time doesn't just have an effect on right now, but it has an effect on what's happening later as well. Real discernment is knowing how to discern what is happening in life right now, but also having wisdom enough to have a plan and knowing how to adjust that plan. That's discernment. He gives further advice here. He says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you. But his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. The warning here is that you should be able to perceive the intentions of someone. And more than anything, as believers, that we have an obligation to the Lord to be wary of such attempts to deceive us. This is probably easier for us if we think that the person looks wicked, if the person acts like the wicked witch of the West, and it's like, oh, yeah, sure, I know this is a terrible person. But what if they appear to be Christian? What if their intentions appear to be benevolent? Or it all comes under the guise of their faith? I think this has probably been one of the most difficult personal lessons I've had to learn, especially recently, knowing that even people who profess Christianity will leverage certain situations to get out of you what they desire to get out of you. That they will manipulate situations and put you in places and spaces to trust that their intentions are good. But true wisdom is not just testing the spirits that I think are wicked. It's also testing the spirits that I think are righteous. Put nose to the test as well. Put nose to the test under the word of God. The Bible warns that the enemy, y'all, is not like a Disney character with these thin, arched eyebrows and heavy makeup. They don't know. The Bible says that the enemy appears to us as an angel of light. And so that means that even if someone has shown themselves to be Christian, that you still need to use wisdom and discernment. Have you ever been in a situation where you were told someone was mean or manipulative or unfriendly or rude, and then you go around them and it seemed like they were the opposite to you? But everybody you knew had the same opinion of this person. And you probably like me, you're like, hey man, okay, that's favor. It's me. Favor ain't fair, but it sure is wonderful. Like, okay, I'm the only person you treat well, but maybe, maybe that's not the case. 
Maybe it's deception. Maybe they're lulling you into a false sense of security like they did for everybody else to temper your awareness level. If you know someone has a reputation of being a sort of type of person, a certain type of way, I don't think it's wise to think that you're the exception. And as it says here, if you do, you will vomit up what you've eaten and your good words will be wasted. I'll close with this. Much to Chris's chagrin, I have really been into flying lately, like really into flying, like airplanes. And so I've been watching a lot of videos of pilots. And one of the things I've learned, you know, I've been doing the flight simulator. I crashed a few times, made a few crash landings. But one of the things I've learned is when you watch this, like pilots are for obvious reasons, the most observant, cautious, aware people in the world. Like, every time they take off, they go through a checklist, they're talking to air traffic control, they're doing all these different things because they know if they don't, something dramatic and traumatic could happen. So they're constantly discerning what is around them. And what you learn about good pilots is they just don't take any risk in the air. It's not like driving at all. And this is why planes just don't crash that often. Like one thing I've learned, this is why planes don't crash. It's too much communication that has to happen to keep it up. And so when I've learned, you know, it doesn't make sense that a plane can crash. I've learned too much about them. Like how do planes crash at all? Because what I see from what pilots have to do, like, a plane should almost never crash. Even if the engine stops working, that plane should be guided to the ground. Doesn't make sense to me how planes crash. And so what I did recently, I started going back through some very famous crashes, some that we all know about, because I want to understand, like, how in the world did, did they crash? And one of the things that you find out pretty consistently is that in those rare occasions when planes go down, it's almost always pilot error. Almost always pilot error. And basically what you find is on those rare occasions, the pilot did not properly discern what was happening around them. They did not listen to air traffic control and they ignored the instruments in the plane. That is almost consistently what happens. Because this is what a lot of people don't know. Most of the time, if you've ever flown in a plane and you've flown through clouds and you look out the window, you're like, oh, God, I can't see nothing. I'm glad the pilot can see. They can't. They can't see what's ahead of them. So how do they know where they're going? Well, flying a plane is not like driving. One, they've got these instruments that are telling them where they are, but they've also got air traffic control that is telling them where they're going who's around them, what's around them, where to elevate, where to go down, where to, to turn, to do all these things. So you learn quickly is they don't really have to see because there's too much support around them to need to see. They're, they're literally flying based on faith and trust in the people around them. And if they rely on the instruments and air traffic control and their surroundings, 
you learn that they don't need to really see in order to discern what's happening. And so this is what I think is the application for us as I close. I can't guarantee in life as we're trying to use wisdom, we're trying to discern, should I do this? Should I go this place? Should I, should I move here? Should I change jobs? Should I pursue this dream? Should I marry this person? Should I be in this situation? My, my guarantee is not that you're able to see those things clearly. But you don't need to, right? Because in the same way that the pilot has air traffic control and the instruments to help them discern, I think for us, our instrument, that's the word of God. It is the word of God helping me navigate when I can't see clearly. Helping me know which direction I should go. And as far as air traffic control, it's Holy Spirit. He's leading me. He's directing me. He's instructing me. He's convicting me. He's convincing me. He's comforting me. So that in those times when I don't know where to go, I don't know which choice to make, I can rely on what the Lord has placed around me to know where to go. Trusting that if I rely on him, he knows the way that I take. I don't know, but he does. What I'm discerning now is not what's in front of me. I'm discerning what he's speaking through his word. Learning to trust that the Lord's word is safe, it is secure, and if I just listen, I probably won't crash. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for all that you have placed around us to, to help us discern and know what we should be doing in life. You've given us the word of God. You've given us the Holy Spirit. We've talked a few weeks ago about how you've given us other people, sound counsel around us, God, to help us know and to navigate which way we need to be going, God. Help us trust in that. Help us rely on that. Help us trust in you and rely on you to make the decisions we need to make to go to places we need to go and to discern who and what is around us. God, that requires for us to really tune our hearts and our eyes and our ears onto your frequency in the word of God, trusting that what we hear spoken through the word, that well, that's truth. You know, God, I can't trust what I feel. What I feel changes too often. But I can trust what you said, and I can trust what you've spoken. God, every single one of us in this room is trying to use wisdom and discern different things and avenues in life. And I just pray that this sermon will give us the clarity um, of mind and vision to trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.